rocking and rolling a week from Sunday, right? We are rocking and rolling. What's a week from Sunday? Hasidic soundtrack. Hasidic soundtrack. Yes, of course. Yes, the concert. All right, my friends, welcome to Daily Power Parasha. It is great to have you here. Today is Friday, February 11th, 2022. We have, I don't know, I must say, it's got to be close to 400 DPPs under the belt at this point. Don't have the exact number, but it's... uh, it's Kanahara, so it's a, it's a big number. So this is uh, super exciting. All right, I am going to jump right in because we have a lot to talk about. I'm going to share my screen. This is Titzava. We're talking about the installing of the Kohanim. How were the priests, how were the Kohanim installed in their role as being priests? So we read about the garments. We read about the items of the Mishkan. Now we're dealing with the inauguration itself. Okay, the inauguration itself, what did that look like? We talked yesterday, sorry, two days ago, about various offerings. We spoke about 30 loaves of bread, different types of, well, not bread, matzahs, and animals, a bull and two rams, and the bull is brought as a sin offering, and one ram is brought as a burnt offering, and the other ram is brought as a peace offering. You got the whole, uh, the whole, um, potpourri of different sacrifices, right? You have your sin offering that has to be, part of, part of it has to be burnt outside the camp. Then there's a burnt offering, the whole thing is burnt on the altar. And then the shlomim, the peace offering, where some of it is burnt, but a lot of it is eaten by both the kohanim, Moses, and the, and, oh, and the altar. Sorry, altar has some, uh, kohanim who brought it have some, and Moshe, who was facilitating, got some as well. Okay, here we go. Now, the Torah tells us what is going on on a consistent basis in the Mishkan. Exodus chapter 29, verse 38. Here we go. And this is what you shall offer up upon the, what you should offer upon the altar. Tongue twister. Lambs in their first year, two a day continually. The one lamb, lamb number one, you shall offer up in the morning. And the other lamb you should offer up in the afternoon. By the way, just to clarify, this was done not just in the inauguration, seven days of inauguration. It was seven days until uh, to, to inaugurate and install the, the Kohanim as priests serving in the temple, and Moses did, did all that service. But not only then was it done, it was done every day throughout, uh, throughout every, every day of the year. Two lambs, one in the morning, one in the afternoon and one-tenth of fine flour, thoroughly mixed with a quarter of a hint of crushed olive oil, and a libation, that means a pouring, of one quarter of a hint of wine for the one lamb. So that's all for lamb number one. You offer lamb, together with some flour, some oil, and a dash of wine. That is literally what the Torah is telling us. What about the afternoon? Same deal. And the other lamb you shall offer up in the afternoon. You shall offer it up like the meal offering of the morning, and it's like you should offer it up like the meal offering of the morning. In other words, together with the same meal offering, and it's libation and the wine. So it's the same deal. The animal with the flour, with the oil, with the dash of wine. And this is all brought as a spirit of satisfaction, a fire offering to the Lord. This is what is to be brought. Let's continue. It shall be a continual burnt offering for your generations. That means, again, it's not just for the seven days of inauguration, we're going to bring, this is 
continual burnt offering, olat tamid. In fact, this carbon, this offering was called the tamid. What does tamid mean? Continual. Why continual? Because every day, it was consistent, every single day, every morning and every afternoon, a lamb in the morning and a lamb in the afternoon. By the way, who paid for this? Who paid for all the lambs? You might be wondering. It's a lot of, a lot of animals. 365 times 2? Yeah. 7, whatever. It's, uh, it can get costly. So we know that there was a temple fund that everyone contributed to. They gave a half a shekel or whatever it was. Everyone contributed and that went to the communal offerings. Both the ones that were offered every day, the ones that were offered on Shabbat, the ones that were offered on the festivals, anything that were, was representing the people, there was a collection. Everyone paid in and that's what it covered. Okay. Rabbi? Yes. Rabbi? Yeah. I have two, two questions. Yes. Um, so... But Hashem knew that we really would be doing this throughout the generations. So that's my question, right? And then also... Great question. Good. Also, it's just this is just a casual question. It's surprising that we don't eat more lamb. You know, we eat chicken and meat. Right. <laughs> good, good. So a few things. Number one, um, we do do this to this day, as you know, in the form of prayer. It says that from when the temple is destroyed we replace the sacrifices with prayer. And thus we have two mandated prayers, the morning and the afternoon prayer, known as Shachrit and Mincha. The evening prayer, there's the nighttime prayer, known as Mayriv, is not considered to be obligatory because there was only two daily offerings, not three. Why is there a third? The third represents all of the other parts of the animal that were burned throughout the night so we have a night offering to remind us of that. Anything that wasn't finished, because the altar was busy. A lot of, lot of offerings and only a limited, limited square footage of that altar. So the whole night it was burning stuff. So we have one more prayer at night, and it's not considered to be as obligatory as the other two. But you're right. We don't actually offer the animal sacrifice. We don't have a temple. We can't, we're not allowed to do that. We're not permitted to do that. But we have, we have tefillah, we have prayer, which is continuing at least in the spirit of that idea. Just like the fire offering was, was burnt and the smoke r- rose up, prayer is about ascension. And of course, there are other, other similarities. Now, also your second question, why not lamb? It's a good question. I think the solution is more lamb, only if uh, people enjoy it. But yeah, it's, a, it's, think, it's an interesting. I think the Sephardics eat lamb. Yeah, I think you're right, actually. I think yeah. you're right, yeah. Ka- Sephardic, yeah. Kebab and... Uh, yeah. shawarma and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah, there's there's more lamb in other traditions. Maybe, honestly, maybe it was the thing. Maybe Ashkenazi Jews didn't have access to lambs. I don't know. Maybe right. in, in Europe, uh, yeah. could be. Ray, yeah. jump in. I was going to say, lamb chops, lamb is very expensive. Oh, oh, there you go. Maybe lamb was expensive in some of the shtetls in Europe. Maybe they just didn't have it, or they didn't either they didn't have it, or they couldn't afford it. Right. I, a lot of Jewish, it's interesting. This is a... This is a topic unto itself. I did, a few years ago, we did a course called Jews and Food, where we looked at some spiritual meanings of food um, and a little bit of the historical part of it. But this would be an interesting deep dive into the cultural, kind of like... Tastings. Yeah. Tastings. Right. So kind of like a class that includes like a cooking demo and a tasting yeah. and also like from different like... Um, yeah. 
the yes, cultures, yes. different cultures. So you yes, can taste Ashkenazi yes. food, Sephardi right. food, Moroccan food, yes. South American food, Israeli yes. food, like all that stuff. Exa- exa- if there's, yeah, I don't know. Right. So it's it's <laughs> taking from the from the spectrum of uh, of food. That right. would be an interesting thing. That would be interesting. Yeah, it would also taste good. So we okay, would have yes. to find people. We could find like three or four different cooks, chefs, made not even professional, but you know, who could represent different flavors, different cultures, and speak about the significance. Look, Jewish food is uh, it's an evolving art, right? And so it's, dep- it's, it's a lot of it depends on time and place. What were the ingredients? What were the food? What could they afford? What was the, what was, and a lot of it is, is based on socioeconomic factors, which is interesting. Right. Kosher, it's gotta be, but after, once, but you got a broad range within kosher. I remember, like encountering uh, some student, Jewish students at Georgia Tech who were from South America. Which country from South America? Strong Jewish community there. Um, not Brazil, not Argentina. Whatever, it doesn't really matter. They were like horrified. I could filter fish. Horrified. <laughs> what is this? What is atrocity? You take... It's just, it's just not, it's completely not their, it's not their, totally, they're like, what is this? You call this fish? Anyway, it, and you say, what do you mean? This is Jewish fish. They're like, no, it's not. Now we have an argument of what's Jewish food. See, I say no arguments, let's taste them all. That's, that's the whole, that's the vision behind this course. Okay, back inside. Wait, one quick, so yes. when we pray at home, let's say we're praying, yeah, praying yeah. at home, the daily prayers, can we consider we're in our own personal Michigan? Yeah, for sure. First of all, the house is supposed to be like a mini temple anyway. The table is the altar. So the food that we eat, we're also like offering up to God with prayer before prayer, after, etc. Um, and in general, the, the yeah, for sure, the home should be a sanctuary, a special place. Jewish books, which we did the, the Jewish book fair to get Jewish books in homes, a tzedakah box, yeah, kosher food in the kitchen. It should be, um, it should, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, mezuzah on the door, all, the, all that good stuff. Okay, now back inside. Verse 43. Yeah, there. Um, let's go back to 42. It shall be a continual burnt offering for your generations at the entrance. Oh, where do you bring the offering? At the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord while I'll arrange meetings with you to speak to you there. In other words, very simply, let's just cut through the, the flowery language, if you will. The, right? The Mishkan was, there was a courtyard, there was a perimeter wall with an open courtyard, and then a closed building with, I mean, it wasn't a roof, but it was uh, curtains on top, right? It was, a, it was a building, yeah, inside. Inside, outside. The offerings, all offerings were brought outside. That's what it says. It's brought at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Outside the tent of meeting, not inside. Inside was the menorah, showbread table. There was an altar, we ha- which we haven't talked about, the incense altar. Golden, small incense altar. They only burned the aromatics. No, an- not, no animal sacrifices, not, nothing else like that. So, and the ark, of course, in the, in the Holy of Holies. So this is where it's brought. The burnt offerings are at the entrance of the tent of meeting outside. There, in the tent of meeting, there, you're outside the tent of meeting, but there in the tent of meeting, I will arrange meetings with the children of Israel, and I'll be sanctified by my glory. I will sanctify the tent of meeting and the altar, and I will sanctify Aaron and his sons to serve me 
as Kohanim. So this is the idea of the inauguration, the sanctification, the holiness, right? The assuming of the, of the role of priests. I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel, and I will be their God. This is a, almost a repeat of the verse that started this whole discussion, where God says, Build for me a, a sanctuary, a temple, and I will dwell there. Here God is going to say, here, sorry, here God is saying, again, I will dwell. Yeah, do all this stuff and inaugurate the priest and uh, etc. And I will dwell there. I will be their God. And they will know that I, the Lord, am their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt. In order that I may dwell in their midst, I am the Lord their God. So basically through the Mishkan and through the miracles of the Mishkan, they're going to know that, that indeed I am legit. All right, let's toggle Rashi. Um, I'm going to skip some Rashi's. Oh yeah, when you poured the, when you poured the, um, the wine, what did that look like? How did you pour the wine on the altar? Yeah, there was a wine. You brought, every day you brought the, the lamb, the flour mixed with oil, and you poured wine. Where? So Rashi says for the basins. For the basins. As we learned in, in Sukkah, Tractate Sukkah, and that's the Talmud, two silver basins were at the top of the altar. And they were perforated like two fine nostrils. Listen to this. It's like basins. Imagine like a sink with nostrils. What, what do we call that? A drain. Yeah, it's... Yeah, you, sorry, say it again. It could be a colander. Oh, colander, yeah, okay, good, right? Right? So he, the colander, would pour the wine into these basins and would flow and exit through the nostril and fall on the roof of the altar from where it would descend through holes in the altar to the foundations. Interesting. Roof of the altar means, I guess, the top of the altar. So you had basins on top. You poured into the basins. The wine went through the holes of the basins on the top of the altar. Then there were more holes. It was perforated. I guess the top of the altar was also perforated. And it went down to the foundation in the altar of the temple. And, and Okay, that, that's in the altar of the temple. And the copper altar, it would descend from the altar to the ground. Okay, so in the, in the temple altar... Oh, yeah, yeah. In the permanent... Uh-huh. In the permanent temple in Jerusalem that would be built years later, centuries later, it would go to the foundations. It sounds like it would go like almost underground. And in the, ta- in, in the Mishkan, would, what you're going to... Not creating a drainage system in the desert. Like, what you, it's, a temp, it's a portable situation. So they would pour it and it would fall down and then it would go to the ground. That's it. But in the permanent temple they built, it sounds like they built a drainage system where the wine libation would just keep on going down wherever it went. All right, let's continue. Um, skipping that one. Let's do this. Oh, God says there, that's where I will arrange meetings with you. So now that's a little bit opaque. Like It's a little vague. Are you talking about the altar that's outside the, the tent of meeting or inside the tent of meeting? I said before it's inside the tent of meeting, but really Rashi says it's the subject of, of, of possible dispute, right? When I arrange a time to speak to you, I'll arrange it to come from there. But some of the rabbis, some of our rabbis derive from here that since the time the Mishkan was erected, the home blessed be, he spoke to Moses from above the copper altar. Where did God's voice emanate? From the altar. That's the outer altar. Others, however, say no. That he spoke to Moses from above the ark cover that's inside the Holy of Holies. As it is said, and I will speak with you from atop the ark cover. 
And where I'll arrange meetings with you stated here is not stated from Bounty Alder, but about the tenth of meetings state mentioned in the verse. That's the way I learned it. I learned it according to the second reasoning, the second opinion. It's not that God is saying, right, at the entrance, God says it shall be a, a continual burnt offering. Where do you bring it? At the entrance of the tenth of meeting. That means outside the tenth of meeting. Where I will arrange meetings. Hold on, what's that? Is that talking about the altar or the tent of meeting? So there's different opinion. One opinion says it refers to the altar. One says it refers to the tent of meeting. Okay, fine. Next. Um, oh, look at this one. Look at this one. Wow. And it will be sanctified by my glory. What does that mean? Rashi says that my Shekhinah will dwell in it. The Agadak Midrash, however, says, do not read with my honored ones. In other words, it will be sanctified with the passing of my honored ones. Here, God hinted to Moses about the death of Aaron's sons on the day the Mishkan was erected. This is what Moses meant when he said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke, saying, with those close to me, I will be sanctified. Now, where did he speak? And it will be sanctified by my glory right here. In other words, understand that this, if you read it, According to the Medrash, it alludes, it foreshadows the passing of Aaron's sons. Basically, God is saying it will be sanctified. It, the Mishnah, will be sanctified by my glory, means that it will be sanctified with the passing of those whom I hold dear, i.e., Nadav and Aviyah, the two sons of Aaron. Now, that's not giving, that's not explaining why the tragedy happened. It's just saying that with that tragedy, that is what, um, what happened on the day of the inauguration. And for some reason, whatever's God plan, God, God's plan, that is what had to happen. Anyway, that's a little foreshadowing right here according to the Medrash. Um, okay, let's go to reading seven. Here we go. Now, oh, oh, look at this. We finally have the inner altar. We've been waiting for two weeks. Two weeks for this. Last week we spoke about the Caleb of the Vessels and we didn't have this one. It's weird. Last week was about the hardware. This week was about the garments and the, and the, and the people. And yet at the end of all this, we have one final piece that we've, we conveniently didn't mention earlier. You shall make an altar. This is a second altar for bringing incense up in smoke. This is an incense altar. It is not the animal altar. It is not the one that we t- spoke about made of wood and copper. That's outside. This is going to be inside. This is a second altar made for the incense. You shall make it out of, once again, acacia wood. And it shall be one cubit long and one cubit wide. That's very small. It's a foot and a half. It's much smaller. The other one was like five by five, seven and a half feet. This is a foot and a half by a foot and a half, 18 inches by 18 inches, a very small footprint, so to speak. It should be a square and two cubits high, three, three feet high. Its horns, once again, shall be one piece with it. It had protruding from the four corners. You shall overlay it with pure gold, not copper. The outer altar, the other altar was copper plated. This is gold plated. Its top, its walls all around, and its horns. And you shall make for it a golden crown all around. That is like a decorative area around the top. You shall make two golden rings for it underneath its crown on its two corners. Once again, you need the rings for the poles to carry it. You shall make them on its two sides so that it should serve as holders for poles with which to carry it. You shall make the poles out of acacia wood and overlay them, once again, with gold. So this is very different than the other altar. The other altar, all of it was made with wood and copper. This is wood and gold. Imagine how beautiful this was. And you shall place it in front of the dividing curtain, which is upon the Ark of Testimony. So let me explain. This is now inside the building, not outside. The other altar was outside under the sky. This was inside 
covered with the curtains. Remember, covered this is inside the building. Where? Centered with the curtain way, curtain doorway, not doorway, curtain whatever, that marked the entrance to the Holy of Holies. So let me just clarify. This was not in the Holy of Holies. It was outside the Holy of Holies, but lined up, centered with that entranceway. That was blocked by a curtain. Remember we said that the menorah was in the north, I think. The showbread table was in the south, or maybe vice versa. And where was this, where was this one? In the middle. In the middle, centered. Okay, so that's what it says. You shall place it in front of the dividing curtain, which is upon the Ark of Testimony, in front of the Ark cover, which is upon the testimony, where I will arrange to meet with you once again. That indicates that the meetings were, God's meetings, so to speak, were inside the Holy of Holies. All right, so what should be done on this altar, in this inner golden altar? That's, so our, our, in, in Jewish terminology, you would distinguish between the two altars in multiple ways. You would say that one is the inner altar, one is the outer altar. You could say one is the incense altar, one is the animal altar. You could say one is the gold altar, one is the copper altar. All of these distinctions are true. They all are different features that distinguish the two altars from each other. All right. Aaron shall make incense of spices, go up and smoke upon it. There was a slight fire, and he would burn the incense and it would produce smoke. This was not a fire hazard. The outer altar, you do not want to put the outer altar that burned animals inside a space that had a curtain. Are you with me on this? That is a fire hazard. This is an incense altar. This is not yet. It's, it's not yet. Not, not this week's horror portion. But they will, they will. This is what they're going to do. They're going to be coming in to offer incense that they weren't supposed to offer. But this is now talking about creating that very incense altar. So Aaron shall make incense, Aaron, right, the high priest, shall make incense of spices, go up and smoke upon it. Every morning, when he sets the lamps in order, in other words, when he gets the menorah cleaned up and ready to go, he shall make it go up and smoke. That's when he um, also burns the incense. And when Aaron kindles the, lights in the after, kindles the lights in the afternoon, he shall make it go up and smoke twice a day. He burns the incense in the morning and in the afternoon. Continual incense before the Lord for your generations. Just to explain, this is just relating to the beginning of the Sustara portion. We talked about the need for oil. Oil is used for the menorah. And we said that the menorah is supposed to burn from evening to morning. And there was another verse that said it should burn continuously. And we said, well, how, either it's 12 hours or 24 hours. Like, what are we doing here? So the answer was, it's 12 hours. It's evening to morning. But there was one lamp that stayed lit all night. What about the other lamps that went out? When were they cleaned? You know, when you burn an oil lamp, you just throw it out, right? You, you got to clean it out. It's oily. It's, it's like wick. There's like a, a charred wick in there. So when was it cleaned out? Every morning it was cleaned. The priests came in and they cleaned the menorah. Okay, they didn't light it yet. You light it in the afternoon. But in the morning, when you show up for work, you clean the menorah. And when he cleans the menorah, light the incense. That's the, that's the juxtaposition here, right? You walk into the temple building, to that inner building, you got your menorah, your showbread table, the, bread ta the bread's not going anywhere. It's there a whole week. But you deal with the menorah, you clean out the lamps, make it nice and shiny, and then you offer incense. And when you come back in the afternoon to actually light the menorah, you offer incense again. Incense in the morning, incense in the afternoon, continuously. In other words, it's the whole day. Between the two lightings, it's the whole day. You shall offer up no alien incense. 
Look at that, alien incense. You never thought you would see that in a phrase. Alien incense sounds like something that comes from Mars. But it means you shouldn't offer up any um, incense that you're not supposed to. Ray, you mentioned before about Nadav and Avi, the two sons. Yes. Don't offer, right, this is foreshadowing, this is the prohibition against what they did according to some commentaries, right? Don't offer up alien incense, incense that you're not supposed to bring. Whether it's the wrong stuff, the wrong time, or the wrong person. Don't offer up any incense that should not be offered. Don't offer up any burnt offering that shouldn't be offered or a meal offering that shouldn't be offering. Right? Alien refers to all three. Alien incense, alien burnt offering, or alien meal, meal offering. And you shall pour no libation upon it. No alien libation. Fine. But Aaron shall make atonement upon its horns once a year. Once a year. We'll talk about this in a second. With the blood of the sin offering of the atonements... Once a year he shall effect atonement upon it for your generations. It is a holy of holies to the Lord. This is a, a reference to Yom Kippur. Once a year in Yom Kippur, when there was a sin offering of the atonements, right? Chatas HaKippurim. It says in the Hebrew, HaKippurim, literally. It doesn't say Yom HaKippurim, but it's the Chatas of the Kippurim, i.e. Yom Kippur. Then, listen to this, the high priest would sprinkle blood on this altar. Once a year, blood touched this altar. Typically, no blood, no animal, no flour, no wine, no oil, just incense. It's very simple. Stick to the script. It's just incense. It's just ketores. That's it. But once a year, he would put the blood of the sin offering, of the atonements, on the horns of the altar, right? Shall make atonement upon its horns once a year. Once a year, he would take the blood from the from the sacrifice of Yom Kippur and put it on the corners of this altar. Make sense? Yeah, sort of. I mean, okay. Now let's look at Rashi. Smoke of the incense. We got that. Um, it's top. Give me a second. Here we go. Perhaps you will say, okay, where do we position, where do we position this, the incense, the inner incense golden altar? Where do we position? So perhaps it says in front of the divining curtain, I, I explained this, but let's see Rashi. Perhaps you will say that the altar should be removed or at a distance opposite the ark, either to the north or to the south. I, I feel like it's important to, to mention the orientation. The building of the Mishkan was a rectangle this way, side to east, it ran east-west. Right? It ran east-west. And then part of it was a Holy of Holies, but then there was a larger part. Question is, where do you put the inner incense altar? North? Right? This is, this is east-west this way. So north is this way, south is this way. Do you put the incense altar here? Here? No. In the center. In the center. Right? Therefore, the Torah says, in front of the ark cover, mean, meaning directly opposite the ark on the outside of the Holy of Holies, still in, still in the building, but directly opposite the ark, i.e. in the center. Okay, when he sets in order, what does that mean? When does he light the incense or burn the incense? That's in the morning when he sets in order. When he sets the menorah, a word referring to the cleaning of the cups of the menorah from the ashes of the wicks that burnt at night. As I, I mentioned this, but here we see a black and white in Rashi. Every morning the priest came in and they had to clean up the wicks. And probably the oil, you know, it's probably a little bit oily, you would imagine. But at least the ashes of the wicks for sure had to be cleaned out. He would clean them every morning. It was part of the holy tasks of the... Kohen of the priest. Um, and in the evening, when he kindles the menorah, once again, he would 
once again make the uh, Ketores go up in smoke. You shall offer it up on this golden altar. Oh, no alien incense should be offered up on the golden altar. Alien incense. Oh, here we go. Rashi says, what is alien incense? Any donated incense, they are all alien except for this one. That sounds like it's the, the type of incense. That's being, somebody says, you know, I have a gift. I want to give you a gift of incense. Sorry, we got a formula. We got a specific formula. Now, the Torah hasn't mentioned yet the formula. It will. Give it time. We're going to have the script. The formula is going to be told to us. But any other donation of incense, oh, it smells great. Why don't you try it? It's like, imagine you have like a go-to like cologne or perfume, right? And uh, someone says, oh, try this one. It's great. I don't know. That's alien incense. I don't know. I don't know if I can try it. God says, I got my flavor. That's what I want. I got my fragrance. That's it. Next, burnt offering, meal offering, neither burnt offering nor meal offerings. A burnt offering is one of animal fowl. Meal offering is one of bread, as we know. Okay. But Aaron, okay, here we go. Aaron shall make atonement. This refers, Rashi says, to applications of blood on the horns of the altar, as I told you. Once a year on Yom Kippur, as I told you. This is what is stated in the Pasha Achremot, and he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement upon it. The altar there is a reference to the inner altar, which usually doesn't touch any animal byproducts. It's just... It's just uh, straight up incense. Once a year, blood goes on it. The sin offering refers to the bull and the kid goat of Yom Kippur, which atone for ritual contamination regarding the sanctuary and his holy things, holy of holies, etc. Okay, great. All right, this is it. We've done it. What's the moral of the story? Moral of the story, reading six and seven, is about the inner altar. I want to share with you an insight about the inner altar. You know, I, 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 I. Asked the question before. I didn't. Maybe maybe I didn't put a question mark solidly at the end of this of the sentence. But it is a question mark. The question mark is why suddenly we're talking about the inter, the the inner altar. It should have been mentioned last week. Last week had all these stuff. We had the menorah. The, we had the ark, the menorah, the shobra table, the outer altar. That's if you want to group the put it there. Put it there. Why this week at the end? It's like, oh, one more, whoops, forgot one more vessel to add on. Seems weird. This, this parasha was about clothing and kohanim, not altars. What's going on? Many, many, a lot of discussion about this. A ton of discussion. One insight amongst many is that at the end of the day, the Torah is telling us what is the most important thing. And that is, you know, sometimes we think that to be holy is to make sure that others see us as holy. It's kind of like, you know, that expression um, or the, the philosophical question, if a tree falls in the forest and no one hears it, no one sees it, no one hears it, does it make a sound? If I'm holy but no one sees it, does it matter? Right? It's like, I'll be holy when people are looking. When no one's around, I don't need to be holy, obviously. Right? I'm not actually saying that. I'm saying that might be a mentality, a mindset. Like, I'll be a good spouse when I'm around other people. And when we're behind closed doors, nah. I'll be a good parent when we're out with people. And at home, nah. Listen, listen. We only need to walk a few, uh, few miles in this, in this world to know that that's a thing. For better, for, uh, not for better, for unfortunately, that's a thing. People put on their best behavior when other people are watching, and when no one's watching, whether they're alone or with 
people that they are very familiar with, sometimes, all too often, negative stuff comes out. The message is, it's easier, it's easy, relatively easy, to sacrifice to God when you're outside. I'm going to bring a sacrifice and everyone's going to see it. Look at me, I bring my animal, my sacrifice, I'm so holy, I'm so religious, look at me. There's a courtyard, everyone's gathered around. Oh, look, Shmerel Yanko Beryl is bringing a sacrifice. He's such a holy guy. Question is not what happens outside. Question is what happens inside when no one's looking. Are you still bringing the sacrifice? Are you still giving up something for a higher purpose? Or in those spaces do you say, no, here it's all about me. My way or the highway? It's a question. It's a big question in life. Are we the same inside as we are outside? Usually it means a different connotation. Here I mean, you know, outside sometimes we, 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 have, we, um, we reveal our virtues on the outside. Look at me. Like when we're in shul, we might daven in a way that others realize that we were davening, we're praying with concentration. And at home, well, no one's looking, so I can kind of knock it, you know, I can, I can just get through it, right? Because if no one's going to look, then what's the point? I'm saying that sarcastically, right? I mean, it's not so sarcastic. It's, it's, it's human nature. This is not a, I'm not, I'm not calling anyone out. This is just, we're all in the same boat. So what's the end? What's the end? What's the conclusion of this whole story? You want to build a home for God. What's the last piece? What's the last piece? You have all the pieces in place and all the wonderful things and all the clothing and the right people. What's the, la- what the bottom line? What the last line is? The inner altar. Make sure that when no one's around, you're still sacrificing. You're still doing the right thing. You're still able to give up of yourself even when no one's watching around. No, no one's watching you. No one's going to know. No one's going to know. You're still going to do the right thing even though no one knows. I mean, God knows, right? But no other people know. Behind closed doors. Behind closed doors. What's going to happen behind closed doors? That's how the Mishkan conversation, that's how God's vision of the Mishkan concludes. With a behind closed doors, it should be the sweet ascent. Behind closed doors, that's where it should be the most beautiful expression of sacrifice for the divine, of giving up what I want, selfish desires for what needs to be done. Or what's expected of me. Not just when it's to my benefit, if you will, because I get uh, you know, others to say, oh, look how holy that person is. But it's when I'm alone. That's the question. No one's around. No one knows. Behind closed doors. No? What are you going to do? That's the question. It's like what they told us in yeshiva. Right? It's not so much about whether you're learning Torah when you're in yeshiva. You have a schedule. You have obligations. There are people marking attendance. There's rabbis around. There's Okay. Questions when you go home on vacation. Yeah, you come home for a weekend. You come home for Pesach, Passover, for Sukkot, Sukkot, holidays, right? When you come home, yeah, you're no longer in that space, right? When do you get up in the morning? Are you studying? Are you learning? Are you davening? Or are you on vacation? That's the question. Are you on vacation? Like vacating the spiritual stuff? Or are you still... Is it really in you? And then, and like the Gatorade 
line? Is it, is it in you? And the, and the litmus test is when no one else is around, when it's just you and you, oh, and God, obviously. But, it's just, but aside from God's always there. But it's just, now it's just you. Who are you? Who are you? Will the real you please stand up? Not the you that plays a role vis-a-vis others. Not the you who's performing for others. Not the actor. Not the presenter. But the you. The real you. Behind closed doors. That's how the conversation ends. That's what it means to build a home for God. Down to the innermost spaces of our lives. We're dedicated. That's what it means to build a home for God. That's why it's last. It's the hardest. It's the most important. And that's really where the, um, the rubber hits the road, to use a cliche that I'm not sure if it, if it fits, right? That's where the metal is tested or whatever. Yeah. Okay, does that make sense? That's one, that's one idea. Yeah, Don. So if we're looking at, at our home as, you know, in the general home as our portable, Mich- our Michigan, so then following this, these remarks, so the time when we individually are praying, that would be our inner, our inner altar? Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's our inner space. But in general, anything that happens at home really is our inner space. Right. I mean, it's just human nature. Human nature is that we put our best foot forward when others are looking. And when others are not looking... So that's the challenge. Challenge is, right? It's the, it's the Mishkan challenge. Not the, um, the ice bucket challenge. It's the Mishkan challenge. Will you be as dedicated at home behind closed doors with no one around as you are when others are looking? That's the question. Will you be as nice to your family as you are when you're... I mean, it's simple questions. Simple questions. Not, nothing, nothing that requires, you know, knowledge of algebra. It's simple question. Do you speak as kindly to your spouse behind closed doors as you do when others are watching? Simple question. Simple question. Right? Do do you hug your kids as much behind closed doors as you do when others are watching? And the answer should be yes in all the cases. Should be. Okay. That's the question. No? What's the answer? Right? That's a question for us. Everyone individually is... Am I living a, do, a double life? And, and the inner mishkan is to erase this construct of double life. I have the life that I show others. Let's call it the Instagram life. And then I have the real life. It's about erasing that divide between the two. Hope that makes sense. I also feel like, in another sense, a different perspective is somehow, perhaps there's also less self-consciousness. Like if you're you know, in the synagogue, you know, it might be a little slow. I don't. You oh, it could go right. So it could go the other way. Maybe you feel more comfortable at home. Sure. Right. Yeah, but that's okay. Yeah. Look, I, like I said before, there's a lot, a lot of commentaries on this. Like why the inner altar is the last one, and seemingly in the wrong Torah portion, and all that stuff. This is one insight. This is the insight that I like. It just resonates. Just this whole. It all, to me, it all comes together, and it's a beautiful insight. And it's a reminder because hey, no, no one's at Sadik here. No one's. No one's preaching from, I, I'm, right, that's, not, that's not what's happening. It's, 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 it's a question, right? Okay, now let's do the Haftorah. We can do a little Haftorah action. Um, here we go, Haftorah, Tetzavah. 
Haftarah comes from Ezekiel chapter 43. I, I just, in full disclosure, I, I, did, I don't know that I'm going to have a lot of commentary to share on it, but we can certainly read it. Okay, you, son of man. I, I'm assuming this is God speaking to Ezekiel. Describe the house to the house of Israel. Describe the house, meaning the temple, to the Jewish people. That they may be ashamed of their iniquities. In other words, this is considering, it's probably in the context of after the destruction or talking about a time that will be after the temple's destruction. Remind them of what they lost. Right? Remind them of what, what got destroyed. Let them measure its plan. Fits with this parasha. Fits with this, because the Torah portion talks about the design. These Torah portions. So now it's like, remind them of what they lost. And if they are ashamed of all they have done, let them know the form of the house and its scheme. In other words, in exile, without a temple, let them study, let them know the form of the house and its scheme. Its exits and its entrances and all its forms and all its laws and all its teachings and write it down in their sight so that they keep the whole form thereof and the laws thereof and do them. So this becomes That's a... That's what we're doing. That's what we're yes, doing. Yes, we're still studying it to this day. Exactly. <laughs> we're studying it. We're looking at pictures. Why? We don't have it. What, who needs it? God says you should continue to, to remind. Re, always study. This is the teaching of the house upon the top of the mountain. Now, just, clear, just to clarify, this is talking about that the, the temple in Jerusalem that was ultimately built on top of the mountain. Of course, our parish is talking about the portable version, the original portable version, and this is talking about re in reference to the one that was destroyed, the, 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 the permanent temple, if you will, the stone temple. All right, this is the teaching of the house. Upon the top of the mountain, all its boundary round shall be most holy. Behold, this is the teaching of the house. And these are the measurements of the altar and cubits. The cubit, one cubit and one handbreadth, but the base, one ordinary cubit, and such a cubit also for the breath, and likewise on its border, going one span to its edge all around, and equally so the very top of the altar. And from the base on the ground to the lower edge shall be two cubits, and the breadth one cubit, and from the small edge to the greater edge four cubits, and the breadth one cubit. And the altar hearth shall be four cubits, and from the altar hearth and above the horn shall be four. And the altar hearth shall be twelve cubits in length by twelve cubits in breadth, Square to its four sides. And the ledge, 14 cubits in length by 14 cubits in breadth to its four sides, and the boundary around it half a cubit, and its base a cubit all around, and its ascent will look toward the east. Now, you might be thinking, we're talking about the altar, and it keeps on giving different measurements. What is going on here? First it says it's one by one, then it says it's four by four, then it says it's 12 by 12, then it says it's 14 by 14. So one understanding of this is that the temple, the temple altar was built wider at the bottom and then it got subsequently smaller as it went up. Right? So it was wider base and then the, at, at different levels. It's like uh, like a wedding cake or something. It's like, you know, just kind of goes in as it goes up. Let's continue verse 18. And he said to me. Teared. Teared. Exactly. Exactly. And God said to me. This is again Ezekiel. Son of man, thus says the Lord God. These are the ordinances of the altar on the day when it will be made to offer burnt offerings thereon and to sprinkle blood thereon. And you shall give it to the priests, the Levites, who are of the seed of Sadok, who are near to me, says the Lord God, to serve me a young bull for a sin offering. And you shall take of its blood and place it on its four horns and upon the four, four corners of the upper edge and to the border around. And you shall purify it and make it fit for atonement. And you shall take the bull of the sin offering 
and he shall burn it at the end of the house outside the sanctuary. Oh, this is like the inauguration. This is what we read about today. When you inaugurate the coin, you, right, you take the, it's a bull offering, and then you take it outside to burn it outside the sanctuary. Right? That's, we had that idea. And on the second day, you shall offer a he goat without blemish for sin offering, and they shall purify the altar as they purified it with a bull. When you've completed the purification, you shall bring near a young bull without a blemish and a ram without blemish from the flock, and you shall offer them before the Lord, and the priest shall cast salt upon them and offer them up to God as a burnt offering. Again, this is the inauguration. For seven days, seven days, shall you make a he-goat for a sin offering every day, and a young bull and a ram for the, from the flock without blemish they shall make. For seven days, they shall effect atonement for the altar and purify it and dedicate it. And when they have completed the days of this inauguration, then it shall be that on the eighth day and thenceforth, the priest shall make your burnt offerings and your peace offerings on the altar, and I will accept you with satisfaction, says the Lord God. So we start off with destruction. You know, remember the altar, remember the temple, and then it gets into details, and then it talks about the re-inauguration, how to get back into that. Seven days of re-inauguration with the offerings, with the, the sacrifices, etc. Please God, may we soon have the rebuilding of the temple, the third temple with the coming of Mashiach, speedily, speedily in our days, and let us say, Amen. All right, I want to wish everyone a good Shabbos. It's great to see you. It was great to study together this week. Next week, we got a big Torah portion, Kisisa, which, or Kitisa, which talks about the sin of the golden calf, amongst other things. So don't miss it. A lot of, uh, lot of drama next week. All right, good Shabbos, Ray. Good Shabbos, Dina. Good Shabbos, Sarah. Good to see you guys. Good Shabbos, everybody. Take care, all. Bye, guys. Take care.